Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire. The Philadelphia 76ers select Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons. Here comes Simmons between the legs. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the New Slam Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kyle Newbeck. This week, our podcast being brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. So, thank you to them for helping to keep our lights on during a pandemic. With me as he is every week, waiting to see whether the NBA season is going to be canceled or whether the players can come to an agreement over the terms and and what it's going to look like. My friend, Seamus Clancy. Seamus, how are you? Doing okay. Also dealing with... I lost my health insurance at the beginning of this month, and I did not know until I had some scripts called in for me, and they told me I no longer was covered under health insurance. Oh, man. Yeah, so uh, just turned 26 in May, and then looking on my insurance provider's website, it said that I've been covered through the end of the year, uh, of the calendar year that you turned 26, and then obviously contact them and call them. And because I was on, obviously it was on my parents' plan, but it was through my mother's uh, employment insurance. If you had a private plan with them, it ran to the end of the calendar year, but because it was a plan through an employer it ended at the end of that birthday month, and I got zero notice for it. So now uh, <laughs> I'm not in open enrollment for my day job, so I am currently applying for one of those special case scenarios and waiting to get documentation from the insurance company that says I have, uh, I've ended my insurance coverage from them, and now I'm in need of it. So pretty gigantic hassle for someone who, you know, uh, does make use of their insurance frequently with, you know, therapy sessions and such and the medication. So I feel like a 65 year old right now. But I guess I would Dude, I got to tell you, my only, t- like, we don't have to get into health insurance takes or like the, I think state everyone who American follows me, like, knows system. how, like, everyone knows how I feel <laughs> in healthcare. So it's not like I'm not yeah. going to just spend every time on it. No, but what I will say is it is the most, unnecessarily fucking complicated thing ever just to like you know and i think that's why this is like a whole different thing that we don't have to get into when you see people like biden and the more uh moderate left-leaning candidates for the presidency say things like well we don't want you like we want you to be able to keep your insurance it's specifically because People don't fucking trust that people can figure this out. Like there are always all kinds of issues, even with insurance that people think is good. The insurance industry sucks. Yeah, I had I great it. insurance. My my mom works for the city, so it was it was really right. good insurance, and it was still the gigantic pain in the ass. Yeah. So, the, needless to say, the person who fixes the American healthcare and insurance system will be a fucking hero in my eyes. Put his statue for the, up forever. I, yeah, you can his replace or the her, Columbus his statue. His or her statue. Uh, okay, anyway, before we get too far off the plot here, there's not a lot of 
Sixers specific stuff going on right now. I, I mean, I think the most recent big time Sixers development was uh, Josh Harris and his partner David Blitzer bought a small stake in the Steelers, which I don't Loser. give a shit about. Uh, you got to get all those big Steelers, Devils, Mets, Sixers fans out there. It's like uh, arrest development, Tobias. There are dozens of us. <laughs> They're going to start the uh, the first regional sports network that caters to exactly zero fans. Yeah, um, and then we got, I'm going to have to pay for it for some reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're not going to get into that. Uh, I, the big NBA news over, I guess it's like the last five days or so let's just we'll say the last week or so is that Kyrie Irving has been the we'll call him the leader I suppose it's probably accurate to call him the leader has been the leader of a coalition a, a movement of players within the NBA who effectively are I don't want to say that they're saying they're not going to play because Kyrie Irving is hurt and isn't going to play anyway but they're openly questioning whether it's the right thing to do to play basketball again with the state of the country right now. Uh, The the concerns are all over the place. So I want to make sure that I get this right before I start saying this is Kyrie Irving's stance. I I believe that a lot of their concerns are not related to George Floyd and the related police brutality protests that are going on, but a lot of concerns with being in the bubble, what the the limitations are going to be as it pertains to who can come in and out, whether guys have to stay in there full time, et cetera, et cetera. But then, of course, on top of that, there are also concerns of, you know, is this the right thing to do to play sports, to play basketball right now? while this ongoing dialogue and these protests are happening around the country. And, you know, I, I think the initial problem, Seamus, as far as I could see it with this, was that it was Kyrie Irving's name attached to it, and that lended a certain segment of not just the media, but fans that follow the league closely to dismiss these concerns out of hand, to say, like, look, this is a guy who is always saying crazy shit, for example, his flat earth comments in the past and the controversies that have surrounded, that stem from that. There was some reporting right after Irving started to organize this, well, let's call it a movement, that essentially said, like, well, he didn't bring up these concerns at the proper time before, and these are new developments, and trying to dismiss it in that way. But it seems like he has real support behind him, and so that brings us to this... I guess crossroads where Seamus, do you have any concerns that the NBA is not going to start back up again because of this? And do you think that this is coming from the right place from your view? I would expect the NBA to play this summer under the constraints that we've talked about in the last podcast or two, this Orlando Disney centric tournament in some capacity, whether it goes well or not as remains to be seen. I kind of, view it as it's not going to be too much of excess. There's going to be a lot of issues that pop up that the league doesn't really seem ready for. But I think Kyrie's concerns are legitimate. I think they are coming from a sincere place, a genuine place. 
I've seen some people dismiss it as, you know, he's not playing, so he's that's the only reason he's saying it. He doesn't care about this season. He's trying to spite LeBron, all these things. Kevin Durant was one of the players that supported him and saying this, and that, you know, lends that, oh, KD's not playing either. He's spiting these other players in the league because the Nets aren't going to be in this. Uh, but you also see other players sign up on that in that vocalized themselves too. It was, I believe, Chris Paul, jo- our own Joel Embiid, our own Tobias Harris were players who also sided with Kyrie in that meeting. So it's not just Kyrie. These are players who, you know, the Sixers, uh, you know, whether I think they have championship aspirations is different than what the team thinks. I think Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris certainly feel they're capable of making an NBA Finals run. And, you know, this is this is who they are. They're in their prime. They wouldn't be throwing that away, a chance at a championship, no matter how kind of, no matter what type of asterisk people might want to assign it. Uh, you know, when it's coming, not just, it's not just Kyrie, obviously he's the big figurehead and I commend him for speaking up and maybe a lot of the other players were, I don't want to say scared to speak up, but just a little timid to be the front headlining name on this headline that was going to dominate the news cycle. Uh, But I do think his concerns are genuine. And, you know, I think besides, I think his intent is genuine, but I think the actual literal concerns of what he's saying, uh, you know, deserve consideration of whether, you know, this is where it teeters back and forth. Is the, is the NBA coming back a welcome distraction? Is it, you know, a sense of inspiration, something that people can rally around? But, it, you know, the cynic in me says the NBA comes back. That's ever, all everyone's talking about. The idea that, you know, players can, you know, use the, you know, pregame introductions or wearing different shirts during layups, during, you know, layup lines and warmups to, you know, use their own protests like they've done in the past with those I can't breathe t-shirts. Uh, but I think we're at that point in history. We kind of discussed that on the last podcast. That's different than any of these other events, uh, police brutality, uh, racial injustice that we've seen over the, you know, I think we're in that era, that post-Ferguson era since 2014 has been this new lie, this new sort of line we've been on if the Black Lives Matter movement. I think we are at that turning point where, it it's worthy to discuss whether this is important enough to go on given the severity of everything else going on. There are still, you know, even if it's not getting the most news coverage in major American cities, there are still protests literally every single day. It might not be covered, but it's happening. You could see it online. And does the NBA coming back into play help those people at all? Does it, do, do those people stop protesting because of that? No, they're going to keep doing their thing. They're going to keep fighting. And I think, you know, Kyrie might be right. So we're, I'm going to leave it right there real quick. We're going to take a quick ad break and we will be right back to talk about this some more. So I'm here to tell you about our friends at Bet Online. There's no shortage of action going on with our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, or maybe they won't be, depending on if Kyrie Irving builds a big enough coalition. And Bet Online's leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet Online has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. So I, I want to get into, I guess, like the the issues that have 
popped up from Kyrie specifically being the messenger. I, I think, you know, it's one of those situations where, and this is not fair in this situation, but this is how things tend to work. People discount the validity of what is being said because of who it's coming from. And, you know, as I already brought up the whole, the flat earth conversation, but there are also, and this highlights a problem with the NBA media landscape, but certainly with the sports media landscape in general, there are people who are so beholden to sources and to getting proper quotes and that like the level of access that they have on a league wide level that when somebody like Kyrie, yeah, I don't want to call them water carriers, but certainly you could, it would depend on the person we'll say. Um, There are people who, if someone is pushing back on the idea that the NBA should play they're going to have people coming to them with a vested interest in spinning an opposite narrative. I I think the worst part of this happened, I want to say it was last Friday morning, so it would have been, I don't, I'm so bad with dates, I'm not going to pretend it. Last Friday, Dates don't exist anymore. Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports was the first one with this story about the the conference call, the Zoom call that was supposed to happen with Irving and a large coalition of players. And in my view, not coincidentally, within a half hour of Haynes's report, and, and keep in mind, just for people who don't, who maybe don't follow Haynes, he is like on the tier that's just below the very, very top reporters in the league. Like he's broken a ton of news. He, he gets great access. So him getting this story, this is not like some schmuck reporter just making shit up. This is someone who like carries some weight in, in NBA circles. So Haynes drops this story. And within a half hour of this story dropping from, I want to say five to 10 of the other most prominent NBA reporters on the planet, there are like what I would call distractions to that story. Like, Ooh, this is the exact schedule that's coming out for the NBA. Like this is the date that they're going to start playing. This is when first round of playoffs might begin. And and like all these little details are drip fed to different people around the league. And that shows you the power that the league often has over many media members in that they can, sort of bury stories that are inconvenient to them and their messaging and their brand by just promoting other things through different reporters. Now, maybe that's not as effective depending on what the story is. Sometimes it's just too big to be able to contain it or counter message it. But I thought it was really gross from not just you know, the people who are leaking that stuff, in my view, intentionally, but the people who see that report from Haynes come out and then do not give that it's time to breathe or time for consideration and instead are moving on to what I would consider bullshit. Like, it, the league's going to start back up again at some point, at some date. Like, that scoop doesn't mean anything to me. A bunch of black players saying, hey, we're conflicted over whether we want to play because of the state of the country right now. That's fucking news. That's newsworthy. That's this the sort of thing that you're supposed to be covering, not just now because of this moment, but 
as a journalist in general like it there's a problem with access journalism generally and you know i don't know how to change that because that's we're kind of in too deep at this point but it shows to me like a darker side of how people receive news like forget about how it actually works with people getting that access think of like John Q, average NBA fan who might miss a story about Kyrie Irving if it hadn't then later taken off throughout the weekend because it got buried under some bullshit scheduling stuff. And that's a commentary on everything that's being fought against in this country right now uh, to some degree, I think. I think it's real, this concern. It's it's 100%. Like... People dismissing it because Kyrie is this flat earther. He's this, you know, loves the conspiracy theories Illuminati guy when he has the guts to say this. And I get that there are other, we could talk about this a little bit more, where there's this uh, difference between the middle class of players and the true super duper stars who could probably afford not to play. Whereas, you know, the Avery Bradleys of the world who's spoken out probably can't and you know, that's pretty worthy. And I think the, you know, the, the idea for any union, a strong union should be protect those, you know, middle class or middle type of players or workers, however you want to say it. And from that perspective, I see wanting to go on, even if players do have concerns about racial injustice, social justice, police brutality, that they want to, you know, make public themselves and, you know, stand up and speak up about this. Um, but it's real, and I think it's a worthy concern. And if the NBA, if this you know goes through and players decide they don't want to play and it causes a great schism through the league where they can't really play because of how many players would prefer not to suit up because of how severe things have gotten, how bad things have gotten in our world, I don't blame them. And frankly, I think I encourage it. You know, there's another element to this that I wanted to tweet about this past few days, but it didn't feel like I could convey it in so many words on Twitter. And I've also just been trying to spend less time on there anyway. It is not lost on me that the reaction to Kyrie was of dismissal from, and I say this with full self-awareness that I myself am white, but from a majority white media base is dismissing this concern as if it's like oh i can't like this isn't the way like there's no this is a ridiculous um line of thought from the players like as if this isn't a totally valid conversation for people to have because they can't conceptualize the idea that like they are playing that mental calculus that mental chess to think like okay if we decide to play how does does that dilute the message? Will that take it, it will obviously to me take attention away from protesting and police brutality and like these guys can wear t-shirts and have town halls even and do all kinds of stuff to prevent this. But as long as there is an entertainment option, a live entertainment option that gives people an alternative as opposed to you know, it's either turning on the news or you're watching reruns for the most part right now. There's no way to avoid that. It's you. I don't want to call it a distraction, but you're just pulling people away from what's going on. So I, I think it's a totally legitimate concern to have. And it's tone deaf for all these white writers covering a league that is 
a predominantly black league to be so incredulous at the idea that this is a thing that guys are talking about. And just because, like to your point, Seamus, just because there are players that are at the top of the food chain that do want to play, it doesn't matter where the, like if guys don't want to play that are NBA players, they deserve to be heard. And, but to your point, there are the other conversations that have to be had where, you know, the middle class and the lower class of the NBA, though they might be privileged compared to the average person, they don't have the future job security, the long-term financial security to just turn down paychecks. And, you know, there, there, I would like to think that if a guy that was in the, let's say the lower part of the league in terms of stature decided not to play because the, because of his principles and because he wanted to be able to lend his voice to causes versus playing, I'd like to believe there wouldn't be any future rep- retribution against that player. But I think that would be naive given what we've seen Absolutely. historically with guys who have taken stands over things like this. Like the, Maybe it's a different climate now and maybe we're at a moment of change, but we don't know what the domino effects would be. So I, I think I've been one of the most outspoken Kyrie is full of shit guys over the years. But in this case, I give him credit for being willing to say, like, look, at, I will be the the big name that will be at the front of this and you guys can get behind me. I know a lot of guys have been gone unnamed up to this point, but you do need guys like that to send a message that like, look, hey, some of us are with you, especially the the big earners. Yeah, the NBA is certainly a different place than the NFL is in terms of support for racial injustice or, you know, different type of civil liberties and certainly a different place than the NBA was 25 years ago. But I just think to back to people like obviously Colin Kaepernick in the NFL, but even for younger fans, you might not really know uh, Muhammad Abdul Ralph. Uh, if you know his story, Kyle, he was Chris yeah. Jackson LSU and then, uh, you know, wanted to protest the. Uh, American flag because he did convert to Islam and then essentially he was a great point guard uh, you know and in kind of an infamous tweet Phil Jackson once compared st- him to Steph Curry uh, but you know by the time he was 29 years old he was out of the league even though he was a pretty good player well I and- want to bring somebody else up now that you mentioned that um, that last dance documentary that just recently happened with the Chicago Bulls one guy who went, I, I want to say totally untalked about, but I don't know if that's correct. It might have been just barely, is Craig Hodges, who was like an open activist during his NBA career. He wore garb to the White House when the Bulls went in 1992, and I'm pretty sure he openly expressed his anger with the treatment of minorities under George H.W. Bush. And I think he was also critical of Michael Jordan not using his, you know, his stature at the time. Yeah, that whole thing. And he was outspoken on that. And Hodges was one of the the best shooters in the NBA, obviously at a time when three-point shooting was not as prominent as it is today. But he actually filed a lawsuit in the mid-90s against the NBA saying that they blackballed him because he was associated with certain causes and certain people. So, you know, this is not a league that is a stranger to accusations of 
people losing jobs or at least thinking they've lost jobs because of their activism. And, and so I, I think that's a very real concern. And these guys, the, the guys that are lower on the totem pole, that would be a, a thing they have to consider. So I, I think I applaud Kyrie for, you know, sort of giving them a platform and, and cover to be able to add their voices to this. Give Craig Hodges a documentary. Obviously, it wouldn't be a 30 for 30. Give Muhammad Abdul-Ralph a documentary. I watched that 30 for 30 on Sunday, the uh, Long Gone Summer. It was fucking terrible. I heard. I didn't even watch it, and I heard it was It was just like an MLB Network special on Mark McGuire. Sosa was barely in it. They spent the last... It was a two-hour documentary. They spent the last 15 minutes talking about steroids, not even in an accusatory fashion. And it just seemed like, what the fuck was the point of this? I knew all of that. Obviously, I'm a huge baseball fan. Uh, you know, I don't really tweet about the Phillies much because they've sucked the last handful of years. But as a kid, obviously, that's when people love baseball. I was a baseball historian to a degree, I think, for, you know, my age group, my range, my generation, whatever you want to call it. And I knew a lot of this stuff. But, you know, I knew, I knew a lot of the last dance stuff, too. But it was still entertaining. That was just boring. And, you know, I want to get in the process where we're shining light on things that people don't know about and between those two and obviously we're going to get some kind of you know definitive Kaepernick take in, in the years to come um yeah just a little side note I, i'd love to see those guys get a spotlight because i didn't even know the craig hodges thing and you know i love the nba you know i you know my favorite non-fiction thing to read is basketball history and i didn't even know that and i'm sure a lot of people don't know the player i brought up um a lot of the listeners too yeah, so Craig Hodges in the seasons before he was out of the league. So he's out of the league after his age 31 season. He shot 37.5% from three his final year, 383 in 90-91, so Bulls' first title season. 48% from three a year before that, 42%. So like he was one of the best shooters in the league at the time easily. And, you know, I, I think he was, he's also given a lot of that back on the defensive end. So there's certainly a case that like, you know, a team like the Bulls is looking for more steel off the bench defensively when they're trying to compete deep into, to May and June. But, you know, there was certainly a place in the league for him. So I, I think there is some merit to that. Speaking of documentaries, by the way, without going on a big tangent, I just watched the Diego Maradona documentary they did on hbo and that one was really good it was mostly it mostly centered around his time in napoli i had not realized how poor napoli was as a uh, a soccer club until maradona arrived there but there's a lot of stuff on you know he fathered an illegitimate child he had big drug issues and lady like big coke problem that later became problematic for his career there were connections to mobsters in italy like there was a lot of a lot of behind the scenes stuff and the whole almost the entire documentary actually i think the entire documentary is behind the scenes footage or game footage there's no like snapping to current present day interviews it's all the interviews laced over top of a lot of never before seen footage from his career so it was really really good and accomplished both like you know seeing him seeing an athlete at his absolute peak while also and one of the greatest soccer players of all time if not the greatest depending on who you ask on top of all the 
the bullshit, the cheating, the drugs, and the the bad things that you know he would probably like to distance himself from. So to your point, I would love to see more documentaries like that one where we do learn more about the the seedy side of sports, whether that's the athletes themselves or or the leagues, because there are a lot of stories that that need to be told. Yeah, and his name was used in the most canceled of all brand new songs. Oh, God, I haven't thought about brand new in a long time. Yeah, they got canceled in 2017, though. Obviously, their lyrics were problematic long before that. Yeah. Uh, more to the the point at hand. I guess I, I can't see a situation where the season gets put into jeopardy. But I, I do think, you know, we've talked about the asterisk on this season Seamus a bunch yeah if there's a good chunk of guys who just decide we're not playing I don't know what the the threshold is for that I mean, like, even if it was like 20 guys don't play and they're on playoff contenders that's huge yeah a 20 was actually the number I had in my head so oh, we were mind melded on that one no, 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 but, no, no, no. <laughs> but yeah I think if there's even a a decent chunk of playoff guys that decide hey I'm not playing and I don't think this is right I think our our attention is better used elsewhere then that even adds to the the whole asterisk thing again i don't think people are going to even if it's a reserve player you mean look at the sixers last year the whole joke was if they had a backup uh center that was competent instead of greg fucking monroe they probably would have made the finals because of how terrible they were on the court uh without joe and that toronto series you know what i mean just look at it simple things like that if they had you know an extra eighth friggin man that's a huge difference for teams that we don't really say like, oh, well, if Kyrie Irving was healthy and didn't play for the Nets, that's obviously a huge deal. But sometimes the seventh or eighth man and you're having to put a guy who maybe shouldn't be in the league in the playoff rotation, that changes things completely. Yeah, so I've been thinking about the asterisk thing a lot, and I don't know how this is turning into an Argentina soccer podcast, but you guys are going to have to bear with me for a second. But after the the Maradona documentary, I was reading about like a lot of soccer history and uh, the Argentina national team and so on and so forth. And the 1978 World Cup, which was held in Argentina, the only thing I really knew about it before going on through this like Wikipedia and reading wormhole was that Argentina won, the host country won, they beat the Netherlands who I believe lost two straight finals. That's a, you hate to see it. They're like the Buffalo Bills of international soccer because they lost another one not too long ago, 2010. But I didn't realize at the time that there was a lot of controversy surrounding even having the World Cup because Argentina had undergone a military coup <laughs> leading into the 78 World Cup. And there are all kinds of accusations of match fixing and whether Argentina winning, advancing, let alone winning, was because of uh, the political need, like a political desire to normalize what had happened and so on and so forth but as someone who only looks back through this on like reading about it like i didn't live through any of this i just know yeah they won and that's what happened and the rest of it is like 
an asterisk doesn't mean anything. This is obviously a lot less serious. Like guys coming back and you're missing 10 to 20 players is a lot less serious than a political coup where you overtake the government. So even if there's an asterisk on this, I still think looking back in, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, however long from now, nobody's going to think about it. It'll, it'll be like, oh, it was the COVID season, assuming that we don't have several COVID seasons, which is certainly a possibility at this point. Nobody's going to look back on it and think like, oh man, well, that was bullshit. It's, th- there'll be a title winner, whoever it is, assuming they get to the end. That's, unless you live through it, nobody is going to remember any of this. And I, I think that's how history works. The, the winners, the victor gets to decide how the books are written and nobody's going to be able to convince me otherwise. I, I would, I look forward to being proven wrong on that one day because, it, you know, it'd make for more interesting discussions, I suppose. So, yeah, what now would, you all know more about the 1978 World I'm in, Cup. I'm very intrigued, and I'm not even a soccer guy. And I'm Argentina a, I'm a, politics. I'm an, I'm a NASCAR not guy now. I'm a Bubba Wallace fan. Really? Go, oh, I, Bubba Wallace I, it is respectable because of... Yeah, uh, I'm a Bubba Wallace guy now, so... That's the extent of my NASCAR. I'm a, I'm a bandwagon Flyers fan. I'm a bandwagon NASCAR fan. Maybe I'll be a bandwagon Argentina soccer fan. Well, so on top of that, that was 78, and Maradona did not even play at that Like He was not on the team at that point. He was really young. I think he was still a teenager at that point. And it was a, a bit controversial that he didn't make the roster. But then the backdrop in... I think it was 86 was when they won. They won in, I think it was hosted in Mexico and they played England in like one of his, it's probably his most famous game ever. And I had never thought about like the backdrop for that game was the Falklands war, which was fought between England and Argentina. And so it's like these two teams are are representing countries that are in this bloody dispute. And then it's like, Oh yeah, you guys are going to play a soccer game. And like, the stakes behind that are just incredible. I would encourage, even if people don't get into club soccer, I think international soccer, the every four years thing. I watched the World, the World Cup. Cup. The World Cup is my favorite event in sports, and it's not even close. Like, I, I love, I consume sports as much as anybody, but there's nothing that, that reaches the World Cup. And, and it's just, there's so much, like, theater and drama and bullshit behind all of it that you know watching this maradona thing really made me think about so this is much more time than i thought we would spend on diego maradona and the no, there's not a lot of nba stuff in, in terms of sixer specific <laughs> stuff obviously the Kyrie stuff is of uh you know a severe nature and more into discussion but you know there's yeah. other stuff right now well speaking of um i watched speaking that. of argentina soccer <laughs> well just speaking of like having room for other stuff have you watched anything movie tv show anything recently that you feel the need to like um, sell to the podcast are you well, how yeah, far into westworld three, are you so, uh, i've like f- uh see i'm halfway through season three so there are eight episodes i'm i'm four i have four left so oh, we, we, Seamus. in my apartment we Hold on one second. What? The, did you get the notification from Woj just now? 
ESPN Holy sources. Shit. Former NBA executive Brian Colangelo has perched an ownership stake and will assume an advisory role with the Iwara Hawks of Australian's National Basketball League. I'm not going to lie. I've read that as Argentino National Soccer League. That would have been really funny. Or Football League, I guess. Whatever. Welcome back to basketball, Brian Colangelo. Yeah, that's where Brett Brown's going to be coaching in uh, 2022. Oh, Jesus. Um, Well, you know... As some the first reply to Woj just pointed out, there are a lot of snakes in Australia. So that's, I uh, said, see, that was nice. That was nice. <laughs> Let me see who that person is. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I don't have anything to oh, say about Brian if, Colangelo buying a. Uh, yeah, I don't have much to add here. I just thought we had to at least, you know, we our name is our namesake is basically Brian Colangelo. So that that guy's Twitter display name is George Marcus. Do you know who George Marcus is? I do not. That was the allegedly the assumed name Walt Chamberlain played on in a bunch of barnstorming leagues when he was like 16 and 15 and 17 uh, to preserve his amateur status for college. That's a good fun fact right there. That's great. Uh, do some research. If you don't follow Pro Hoops history on Twitter, like what the oh, fuck he's, are you doing? Oh, he's great. He's, he's the GOAT. I mean, he works for the Sixers. He does part-time work for the Sixers. He also is getting his PhD, literally his, you know, a PhD in history specifically, uh, you know, I think sports history in the early 20th century as it relates to labor history. Fascinating guy to follow on Twitter. Um, but yeah, look up George Marcus sometime if you're just bored and want to go on a Wikipedia or, you know, internet source wormhole. Lots of history coming out. This is the history podcast. Yeah, and I didn't mean to cut you off on the uh, the Westworld thing. I was no, interested to see I what thought, you were... Uh... <laughs> At first, I thought you were going to be like, episode five is the craziest episode ever. I thought that's where I thought <laughs> no. you were going with it. No, I'm going to revisit uh, Westworld at some point, but I only watched the first season. So I watched I, the I, first season live, and then we rewatched it because uh, my girlfriend Ashley hadn't seen the first season. Then we watched the second and third season together as our, you know, our first viewing. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, I'm going to get back to the second season of Rami on Hulu. I watched the first season; it was great. I don't know if you've heard of it, watched any of it. I have not. Um, I Good. just watched. I don't know how into sci-fi and space movies you are, but I just watched. I finally watched oh, Ad very. Astra the other day. I've never seen that surprisingly, as much as you think I'm a crazy sci-fi person. Surprisingly, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought, and this is probably a hot take, but I, it's one of, if not the best, vision of like near future space. Like it was really well realized. To the point that you know, I don't want to get into spoiler territory, but yeah, don't. I'm I'm Frank Estanza. I want to go in clean. That's my spoiler yeah. thing. Like there are outposts in space that just seem more grounded in how Elon they would actually just... work versus, um, you know, like the distant future that we normally see in film. I don't know that I like the overarching message or theme. I don't know that it was like. It's not the most mind-blowing. wasn't my favorite ever. But uh, if you like sci-fi and space stuff, definitely recommend it. It's f- on HBO right now, so you can watch it if you have HBO. My favorite space movie, besides Guardians of the Galaxy, but like a serious sci-fi movie of the decade was Annihilation. I don't know if you saw that. From Big Alex fan Garland. of that movie. Yeah. I actually... Uh, a lot of times if I'm in an Acme or CVS or a Walgreens or whatever, they have Blu-ray movies on sale for like five and six, five or six bucks. So I'll look in there and grab one. I bought Annihilation two different times. 
like ad, really? not, like not on purpose or anything. Like I bought it and brought it home, and Ashley's like, "You know, that's already you already have that, right?" And I was like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> but just because I, I love the movie, I'm like, "Oh, I gotta have this." <laughs> um, you know, I have purchased some video games multiple times on multiple platforms depending on yeah it's a little so i like i can't really no not really it's like it, the only thing that's different about it is oh they've remastered something or oh they added this and it's like you know i could just keep the old one and like i don't need the extra stuff but i like it enough that i buy it so i i can sympathize with the uh the idea behind you know i just i just need it i wanted it i'm gonna buy it again can't help what you like seamus that's the uh that's why we're still podcasting about basketball in the middle of June, despite the fact that there hasn't been a game since fucking March. We give the people what they want. We do. Uh, I don't think I don't have a candidate for loser of the week this week. So. Do you have anything you're watching that you're of interest in besides Ad Astra? Um, TV shows. I'm kind of trying to figure out what I'm going to watch next. I've been thinking about. St- starting the americans yeah, i've been considering a sopranos rewatch because i watched it years ago and sort of want to revisit it there have been some people watching it on twitter that i'm friends with that, it was it's i think it was like the rewatch show yeah so i'm during the uh, quarantine i'm considering sopranos considering the americans i just watched devs oh i need to obviously recently. i love alex garland because yeah annihilation uh ex, ex machina so that's definitely on the radar uh you know probably when westworld's over that'll be the next thing i, I like to have one hour-long show going at once and then one half hour one do you know what i mean that's a good principle I yeah because like, cause like the, the, the this half hour one's a little lighter you might want to check you can be able to check your phone a little bit during it whereas the serious one i throw my phone on the opposite couch the hour-long show yeah, I I was watching Killing Eve for a bit, and I, I I didn't watch this season at all. I have all of them on DVR. Worth it? Um, so I I liked the show at first, but it sort of devolved into everything was sort of telegraphed. I didn't like a certain se- point. I didn't like season two. Season one was incredible, obviously. Yeah, season one was good. Season two was kind of eh. Season three's had some moments, but uh, eh, I'm not like bang it out one Sunday or something, maybe. It's not like an active recommendation. If you like, if you watch a couple episodes and like it, maybe stick with it. If not, yeah, that's about the, the all I have ring, on Killing Eve. The Ringer had Villanelle as a number one seed in their best TV ca- show characters ever bracket back in March, which was one of the most outrageous things I've ever seen. And I love season one, and season two was terrible. That's true. What was the seed? What seed did they give? What's his name from The Office? Michael Scott. A one. Which is like like basic motherfucking stuff. I don't like, I openly don't like The Office. I like it. I mean, I I I think it started sucking after like the third, not sucking, but the the second and third season are, I think are incredible. uh, Four, five, and six, pretty good. And the rest of it's kind of crappy to me. Yeah. So as someone who doesn't like The Office, I can still admit that it's a very popular show, influential in a lot of ways. But Michael Scott is in no way one of the best TV characters ever. He's one of the most known TV characters, but being one of the most well-known is not the same as being the best. And the in that Ringer tournament, when he beat 
Walter White from Breaking Bad. I wanted to fucking just kill somebody. It was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And people have shit taste, and I wish they didn't, but here we are. They should have had Badger and Skinny Pete as like a duo on there, and I would have <laughs> voted for them every time. There, and here's while we're on this subject, we're just really spiraling out of control now. There are other shows that are not The Office. Watch more things. It's like Harry Potter. Read a different fucking book. (laughs) Oh, my God. The amount of people that can only speak in Harry Potter analogies or The Office I'm a Hufflepuff if you didn't know. Oh, my God. It's it's fucking embarrassing. Like, expand your horizons. Try out new stuff. You'll be surprised how much that you like. And maybe you'll be surprised at new genres that are not stupid sitcoms that you find yourself really enjoying so that's my loser of the week people who only watch the office how about that yeah i think parks and rec is better and uh i saw someone made the argument well the office is what started it so it can't be better than parks and rec and then uh twitter user booby style as part of philly twitter tweeted that's like saying Michael Jordan can't be better than Julius Irving because he was the first player to fly around and dunk like that, which I think is the best argument for Parks and Rec being better than <laughs> The Office. Yeah. I just, I don't even care. Those shows just mean nothing to me. I, I don't. A good sitcoms are Maybe this is a hot take. I don't really love sitcoms. I was generally sitcoms, so I think it's different. Yeah, like I, I have sitcoms that I like historically. Like Seinfeld is very Obviously, cliche. Seinfeld but... is like the goat show. Okay. Yeah, but I so I love that shit, and maybe it's just because I compare other shows to what I grew up on, viewing it through the nostalgia lens. But I don't care. The point is, I don't only watch Seinfeld. I enjoy other things because I'm a man of actual fucking taste. So put something Whoa. else on in the background, please, for the love of God, so I don't have to see another office quote for at least ten minutes. Because I don't have a lot of hopes that it'll stop the flow of office material. Anyway, that's probably, we're probably about done with this podcast. I'm just, I'm the old man yelling at a cloud right now. I'm not even yeah, old. Yeah, people aren't allowed to laugh. Thanks, Kyle. That's what people are going to take away from this. <laughs> anyway, we will talk to you guys soon, most likely next week. Until then, if you haven't already, subscribe, hand us some five star ratings, write some reviews, and, you know, Another PSA, please continue to follow the recommendations from wherever you live on preventing further outbreaks of coronavirus. I know everyone wants to go out and go crazy. Seamus and I were just talking before the podcast about potentially going out to movie theaters if they're limiting capacity as things expand, regardless of what you decide to do moving forward take precautions look out for each other and look out for yourselves and that's how i'm gonna end this stay safe